Hello, this is episode 234 and in it I'm actually kicking off a three-part series of interviews with James Cornell. James has been an industry expert on the topic of construction and sustainability for over 20 years and as a licensed builder and master carpenter and also as a Passive House certified consultant, he's become increasingly interested in sustainable construction and the use of materials in creating a better way to build and ultimately live. James is also the founder and owner of Life Panels, a business that supplies sustainable wood fibre insulation and building systems for walls, roofs and floors of any residential projects. James has an amazing knack of demystifying the topics of building envelopes, building performance and building science. So if you're keen to understand more about how to create a home that's energy efficient, durable and great quality as a thermally comfortable home, this information is going to be perfect for you. Now remember, if you'd like to grab a full transcript of this episode, plus information on the resources that we discussed, you can do that by heading to www.undercoverarchitect.com forward slash 234. That's the numbers 234. Now let's dive in. I begin by acknowledging the traditional owners of country throughout Australia and I recognise the continuing connection to lands, waters, skies and communities. I pay my respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures and to Elders both past and present. If we haven't met before, I'm Amelia Lee. Based in northern New South Wales, Australia, I'm a wife, mum and architect and I've worked in the architectural industry for over 27 years now. Having worked on over 250 projects, mainly residential family homes, as well as significantly renovating three homes of my own with my hubby, whilst our three kids were babies, toddlers, and even older, I have a personal and professional understanding of the joy, challenges, stresses, and excitement of making your family home a reality. In mid-2014, I started Undercover Architect, and it's an online business to help and teach homeowners like you how to get it right when designing, building, and renovating your family home. Undercover Architect is all about giving you access to the industry knowledge and insights you need to avoid the mistakes and dramas that can cost you thousands, tens of thousands and even hundreds of thousands of dollars. And it's about levelling the playing field so that the world of renovating and building doesn't seem so mysterious and you can be the active driver in your project, navigating it with know-how and confidence. Undercover Architect helps and teaches homeowners through this podcast, the website and our online courses and programs, including my flagship program, Home Method. I truly believe that when you know the questions to ask, the steps to take and the best way to create a home that works, feels great and that you feel great in, you can enjoy the process of building and renovating, as well as the home that you move into at the end of this ambitious journey. Consider Undercover Architect your secret ally, whoever you're working with and whatever your location, your budget or your dreams. Grab access to my free online workshop, Your Project Plan, and learn super helpful information to save time, money and stress in your reno or new build. You can find it at undercoverarchitect.com forward slash project plan. That's P-R-O-J-E-C-T-P-L-A-N. Now, let's get on to the episode. I find that often homeowners are focused on their floor plan design and then the aesthetics of their home and how it'll appear and the overall form, but they don't know much about the materials that they're going to build it from. And some can start thinking about their material selections as they're figuring out their construction costs or they're speaking with designers and builders about what they'll normally build from. Or perhaps they'll see a home that's of the kind of style that they like and they'll see what it's built from and so they'll start investigating materials that way. More and more though, I'm finding out that homeowners are really, they're really investigating the materials that they construct their homes from with a variety of different goals. And so these goals can include sustainability, thermal performance, durability, quality and insulation. And they're also digging into the whole topic of building science and how individual building materials and the combination of building materials can create the right kind of building envelope for their climate and location. And some homeowners are really nerding out on this, which is just brilliant to see. Now, whether you're considering building passive house or you're simply wanting to achieve the best results that you can from conventional building methodology, then it's really helpful to understand building science and how to build a better and healthier home, starting with the building fabric or the building envelope or your floor, wall and roof construction. And this is why I wanted to bring James Cornell onto the podcast. I actually connected with James last year sometime and I've been really keen to bring him on. He's got 
got an incredible knowledge and passion for build, for building better and healthier homes. And I just wanted to bring that onto the podcast. He's got such a great way of demystifying the whole topic of building science, which can sound quite, it's full of a lot of terminology. It can sound quite overwhelming, but when you start to understand it from the point of view of building envelopes and building in a better way, James is really awesome at simplifying it and translating it for us. Now, as I said earlier, James has been an industry expert on the topic of construction sustainability for over 20 years. He's a licensed builder. He's also a master carpenter. He's a Passive House certified consultant and he speaks uh, regularly on sustainable construction and on the use of materials and creating a better way to build and ultimately live. Now, James moved to Australia with his family in 2015 and his focus shifted from construction towards education around sustainable buildings. Through his company, Life Panels, he's become the primary importer of wood fibre systems within the Australasian market and his mission is to educate on the incredible benefits and demystify the science behind passive house building. James actually started Life Panels after years of research in natural and sustainable building systems. Now, there are many options available, but he felt that wood fibre offered the best and most versatile solution for the many applications without compromise. And 10 years of hard work has gone into getting this product to the Australian market and for the company now to be proudly Australian owned and operated. Life Panels supplies wood fibre insulation and building systems for walls, roofs and floors that in particular can assist with passive house design and construction requirements. However, they're applicable for any residential project as they enable fast and easy installation using non-toxic products to achieve thermal performance, moisture control and overheating control. Now, my conversation with James was a long one. We were online together for a long time, just really going through all of this information. And so what I've done is I've actually divided it into three parts, three episodes that I'm going to be sharing over this in the coming episodes. So settle in for a masterclass in what James calls the big three of building fabric. And those are thermal performance, moisture control and overheating control. Now in this episode part one I talk with James about thermal performance and in particular about low thermal bridging and air tightness and we also start talking about moisture control and the breathability of your home as well. This information is relevant for you whether you're building passive house or you're simply wanting to create a fantastic durable and comfortable home with the building materials that are out there and readily available and you're going to be buying anyway. Now, as a reminder, make sure that you remember, okay, that you can download a free PDF transcript of this episode, as well as links to all of the resources that we mentioned. You can grab that by heading to www.undercoverarchitect.com forward slash 234. That's the numbers 234. Well, James, I am really excited to have you here. We, of course, connected, it's quite a while ago now, and then it's, you know, months have gone past and um, and it's taken a while to actually be able to tee this up and get you on the podcast. And I am so excited because I think, um, you know, we were saying before we jumped on the recording that one of the things I really love about the way you do business is you operate from a place of education first. You have a genuine passion that you can see to help people understand how to build better and to how to understand what they need to do with their building envelope and uh, the detailing, the kinds of approaches to adopt so that they create really great outcomes in their homes. And you also have a really great way of being able to distill down the important facts of building science, which can feel like a really complex whole arena of industry knowledge that for a lot of homeowners almost feels um, really difficult to navigate and, and hard to sort of access. And so I think this conversation is going to be super helpful to really pull out what some of those high-level ideas are, how homeowners need to be thinking about them, what kinds of conversations they need to be having about them with their team, and then also particularly how life panels can help them with the products that you have to be able to create great quality homes that thermally work well and uh, tick all the boxes in terms of what they need to as high-performance homes. So, yeah, so I'm really, really um, looking forward to being able to chat with you. I'm wondering if before we jump to all of the goodness that, and expertise that you have to share, whether you can just share a little bit about your background and how you got to being the owner of a business like Life Panels, you know, your experience and your passion about building science. Yeah, well, thanks for having me. And likewise, it's great to connect and, yeah, looking forward to today. I guess um, going back to, to school days, 
I always felt like I never fitted into the normal, you know, way that people operated and the way that people talked about future and careers and you have to do this. And like I mentioned to you before, everything's very black and white. And I've always, I've always seen things in a more holistic sense. Um, so yeah, I never wanted to pursue the regular channels. And that all also gave me a question, a questioning spirit. So I'd always ask, okay, understand how the things work. Why did, what about this? What about that? If we do this instead of that, will it mean the outcome is this? Or how does it, you know, what, just changing various things, how will it affect the outcomes? So that basically led me into really wanting to understand uh, everything that I put my mind to. So it gives me a drive that led me into construction and being hands-on. Uh, and it's funny that the education side of things comes out now because I've never really viewed myself as uh, like an academic or, you know, in, into education in that way. But what, but what it does and linking it into what I just said there about this drive to to question everything that I do from the day that I began as a carpenter. I, I just wanted to understand like, why, why would you use that chisel instead of that chisel? And, you know, what does it mean if it's this type of steel versus that type of steel? And, you know, why do you sharpen it with an oil stone versus a wet stone or, you know, all those kind of details, which ultimately lead to a bank of tools that I got given, which is multiple ways to try and problem solve. So you never cut corners. You're never doing something in a kind of ad hoc way. You've always got a few quality variations of how to, you know, get through a situation. And that just led into construction, uh, running a running a construction company, um, and essentially frustrations of not uh, of seeing how people do things and how not to do things, like how not to treat people, how not to, um, you know, deliver a quote or deliver. A, a piece of advice on a construction site. So I always kind of did the opposite. And that's still one of my mantras today, really. What, you know, what's everybody else doing? I'll do the opposite, <laughs> <laughs> which is pretty weird. But essentially, it, it means that I question myself and it's in our business plan to, to constantly allow ourselves to change our minds and, and try something if it doesn't work, question why it doesn't work, what went wrong, what worked, and just constantly evolve. So yeah, just, just do that. And that's ultimately led to where I question the materials we chose to use, question the methods that we used, and then just research, 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 um, and then discovered the wood fibre probably, what's we getting on for nearly 20 years ago, I guess, and um, 15, 20 years, and then just started using it. Just made sense from a practical point of view on site uh, in a lot of ways that some of the more structured build methods like CLT or mass timber, um, the actual people on the receiving end, like the traders that would use it, it, it was a sometimes a stumbling block. So I was keen to try and find a way to bring people on the journey with me in the construction business that I had and educate them in, in some of these methods. So that basically went from there. And then obviously you start using it. You start looking at emigrating to Australia, uh, researching the Australian market. It was, you know, documents that I read from Queensland University saying housing stock's terrible, you know, everyone's too hot, everyone's too cold, energy bills are massive. So I just said, wood fibre is the go, it's got to be the go. So, yeah, just just committed to a plan and 10-year journey it was from when I first went to one of the plants in Europe and said, hey, I, I want to take wood fibre to Australia. And then, uh, yeah, I've been here seven years nearly and set life panels up probably six years ago. And, uh, yeah, wood fibre, believe in it. It's amazing because um, I can hear whilst there's been a drive for, you know, of curiosity and information seeking through all of that, there's obviously been a tenacity as well to keep problem solving and find the right answers and to find the solutions that you think serve, you know, the, what you're trying to do. Mm. And so um, it's, it's really exciting because I think what you're doing with Life Panels is making um, wood fiber products incredibly accessible to the Australian building market and then coupled with that your knowledge around building science and uh, how you can explain to people to think about their homes generally and then how wood fiber products can fit into solving some of those problems um, is a really good marriage of that knowledge so 
Um, so, and you know, your website is a great resource for people who are wanting just to learn more about this. And of course, to learn more about wood fiber products and what live panel supplies. I'm wondering if I'm thinking that the best way for us to explain building science to the undercover architect community and to really give them some tools, like I said, to have uh, active conversations with their teams and be able to ensure that they're getting this right on their projects, particularly because as we were saying before we jumped on, you know, the changes that are coming to the National Construction Code, your quality of building envelope is becoming more and more important in terms of satisfying the National Construction Code in creating a high performance home. You know, for a long time, we've obviously built you know, homes that are pretty much just like tents when it comes to, uh, you know, Australian construction, very leaky buildings, uh, aren't airtight. But the challenge that we have, obviously, in improving airtightness is needing to understand how your your building, uh, your building envelope performs so that you don't just end up creating a airtight container that doesn't breathe, uh, drives condensation, creates mould and actually makes a sicker environment for you. So I'm thinking that if if we can go through the main criteria that people need to understand in terms of how their home needs to perform and the, um, the various things to be targeting. So looking at it, you talk about three main things to understand. So um, the first one is we've got thermal performance, then we've got moisture control, and then we've got overheating control. So can we jump first into thermal performance and help homeowners understand what are the things that they need to understand in relation to the thermal performance of their home, particularly around perhaps thermal bridging uh, and that whole concept, and then also air tightness and ensuring that when you do air tightness, you do it right so that you don't have those condensation dramas um, down mm. the track. So I'm just kind of going to let you take it away because I know how well you can speak on this stuff, and then I, um, I'll play I'll play devil's advocate and ask questions along the way um, yeah, to to make sure that we get get great information for homeowners. Yeah, well, you picked up on a great thing there at the start about this tenacity in me. So I suppose I just want to encourage everybody to to adopt a similar approach. So one of the main things for me is when somebody says. And the example would be um, when you've got your own business, your laptop lid's not closed till midnight. It's like, I'm, my first question is why, but why? Like, show me the rule book that says we have to do that. Why are you saying that we have to do that? So in a construction sense, when people say things like, okay, we need a drainage cavity here in the wall construction. For the homeowners and the people getting into it, the question would be, yeah, but why? Why is, why is there an air gap there? and not to just take the information that people give you as gospel. And that's very difficult because the construction code, I feel quite often blurs um, some of the, the things that we'll talk about today, but, but doesn't necessarily provide a reason as to why it's blurry. So when people question, well, why would you have a sagging membrane there? Nobody can answer it, or very few people can answer it. So that's the first thing, always question it. And there's plenty of people out there like yourself um, and a lot of people in the passive house space who who can understand this kind of way and it's common sense but it's all interconnected so the three topics you mentioned there the thermal performance moisture control and overheating whilst we've kind of highlighted three things they're not separate they all have to work hand in hand so the uh, the thermal bridging thing is what we like to talk about is imagine a tea cozy so you've got a teapot that would be your building structure. So let's drop a tea cozy over the whole thing. So essentially what you're doing is protecting that structure from the extremes of the hot and the cold of the external environment, because that can make a big difference. And, and from an energy point of view, homeowners can lose up to a third of either their cold air or their warm air internally through that thermal bridging. And so that's really important to understand that. Um, and then the, the air tightness side of it. And there's a great story. So hopefully people can visualize this. And I feel like when you're listening to these kind of podcasts, good visualization stories are, are pretty helpful. So take you on a little whimsical journey. So imagine, imagine you're in the UK, you've gone to a, a terraced house, it's all brick. There's a whole row of them, um, you know, harking back to the industrial era. 
And then in the modern day of today, people have got loads of mold issues, a lot of damp, rising damp, surface damp, mold, bacteria. So what happened was back in the early days when they were first built, you know, very poor glazing, single pane, gaps everywhere, no insulation. Uh, the cavity in between the bricks wasn't insulated. Uh, and then they had a, everywhere had a fireplace or an agar or, you know, some. So everything was kind of generally kept warm. Um, and then eventually people go, oh, we, we now, now it's too cold. We want to, the insulation has been talked about. So let's get some insulation in. So they blow in insulation in the cavity. Then it goes, oh, we need something in the roof. So they put insulation in the roof. Then double glazing windows and PVC come out. So everyone eventually starts upgrading to that. Okay, we'll do this. And then we'll put radiators in and heating. And we no longer want a fireplace. So all these trends, that you know, similar how people talk about the media today drives a lot of, uh, a lot of information you know all the marketing companies and the building companies and the material companies develop all these things as a solution to what maybe is a problem but then what happens in the uk was suddenly everybody was getting damp all the chimneys were just loads of damp and very musty smell the, the subfloor was musty and in bedrooms you'd just have walls caked in condensation from top to bottom and basically what it was was people were sealing up making more airtight the building but failing to recognize the connection between the vapor permeability or what people vapor permeability is the more technical term and, and i suppose the truest sense of the word but people seem to understand breathability a bit more like a gore-tex jacket so it keeps the rain out but it allows you to your armpits to breathe and to sweat and to, for that moisture not to get trapped um, and that's what didn't happen in the UK. So suddenly there's all these issues. So then people start having to put more vents in and then more air con, you know, to do all these things that are just, we've got a problem, we've got a problem, we've got a problem, let's build on it, build on it, build on it to solve the next problem that we create. And that's what I'm always keen to do with the education side of what, what, we, what I talk about, which is let's not forget that everything is interconnected. There's a reason why there was a cavity in the bricks to begin with. There was a reason why there was no insulation to begin with. So just looking back a little bit and understanding where we've come from. And I suppose, you know, you mentioned before we started about living on Aboriginal land in Australia and how quite often what seems to have been forgotten is how original shelters of Indigenous communities all over the world formed part of their lifestyle and served their lifestyle with the connection to the land and we've kind of taken that onto a next level with you know future of materials and technology and and, and forgotten that connection so now it becomes a separation and a separation and it can cause problems if we don't understand what we're doing so yeah so that's that'd be the airtightness thing that we can't just make it airtight and it's all good we've got to think about the materials that we choose and the way the structure is built to enable that the airtightness that we now create uh, doesn't create more issues. Yeah, I, I think that it's really interesting because lots of people, you know, when they hear about passive house for the first time, for example, they think, oh gosh, I don't want to live in a house that feels that, um, where the air might feel that dead or where I can't, you know, I don't have that breathability. But, you know, I've said frequently to the undercover architect community, it's a case of understanding that, you, your home can still breathe and it should still breathe. You just want it to breathe in a controlled way where it's not just allowing air to move in and out um, in an unfiltered uh, and humid and, you know, unmanaged way so that you've got no ability to know if all the space heating you're doing is just dissipating out into the external environment and you're pretty much paying to see that all disappear into the air around the house. You know, it's it's this thing of um, really assessing how that thermal envelope is going to work to make sure that the home um, can breathe for you in a controlled fashion. And so can you just talk, if we can go back to the thermal bridging, what do you, like, what commonly causes thermal bridging and how does something like the wood fibre products, for example, avoid that or how does that, you know, what are, what do people need to be aware of in conventional construction that's going to create that thermal bridging from inside to outside and that that loss of the third of their heat? How how, yeah. know, how do they need to look at thermal bridging? Um, 
yeah, they, this is the challenging thing to think about how to explain this. You know, so I suppose if you if you imagined you were stood inside your house and you got a steel scaffolding tube and you just rammed it through your wall so you could look through look through the hole and see the outside, that essentially would be a thermal bridge. So it would constantly conduct the heat and the cold, which obviously is totally ineffective. And you would feel really cold one minute, then you'd get be getting all this hot air the next minute. So you imagine on on a, a regular house, you you fix cladding to that house straight to the timber frame externally, and you've got two thousand screws or nails holding that cladding to the building. You've essentially got two thousand small. Uh, steel tubes through your building um, so that's essentially a, a simple way to think of it um, lots of holes in your building so you're not you're unable to define or control the internal environment so the, the, the idea of thermal insulation on the outside and like I mentioned about the tea cozy is that you are separating those steel tubes if you like you, you, you pulled the tube out of the wall cut it in half and you've got a separation so that the external heat, hot or cold isn't affecting the internal environment in any way near the amount that it would do uh, previously. So that's why it's important to do that. And even the fixings that you can use, you can get stainless steel fixings, for example, are a lot better than a galvanised uh, screw fixing. So I think the you've already touched on this, that the passive house space um, gives a lot a set of principles that are good to follow and understand and I think people get freaked out that it's complex information and I don't want to live in a sealed box so I don't want to you know pay for this testing or I'm not I'm not worried about air tightness or and I think that's that's probably the difficult thing for all of us in the passive house arena that when you understand the building physics side of it we can educate say hey you don't it's not one or the other there are a whole heap of designs and construction details on a, on a scale, if you like, that you can go to the full passive house setup and have a super high performance house, but you can also introduce some basic building physics principles that mean you still get a healthy home uh, and that you, you're able to kind of blend, blend it. Now that's not ideal if you want to be fully passive house, uh, but I feel like the education that we've got is, just being honest about it you know we know what's been done before isn't adequate but now here's a whole heap of insulation materials a whole heap of vapor permeable building wraps a whole heap of materials that are a lot healthier and can provide a better environment and that the insulation part of it is a, is a big one because the tea cozy an analogy wrapping your house frame um essentially does give you that buffer from the outside to the inside makes you feel cozy connects in with overheating control which we'll talk about uh, as we as we go but yeah preventing that extreme heat from outside getting to your inside and making you uncomfortable essentially gotcha okay and in terms of like in terms of the ideal sort of wall construction and thinking about you know traditional light framed wall and getting the the things in the right places between inside and outside what do you sort of suggest in terms of where things need to be where the cavity you know the cap the drying cavity the vapor permeable membrane all of that kind of stuff so that people sort of can picture compared to how you know a traditional wall would get a traditional lightweight wall you'd have you know plasterboard on the inside timber frame cladding on the outside um, a brick veneer wall, obviously you'd have a small cavity between the timber frame and the brickwork. How do people need to think about that wall construction overall? Um, you know, and, and if they're using a wood fibre product where that would sort of come in to get that, that external skin of their wall doing what it needs to to avoid the thermal bridging, to create that tea cosy and to get that air tightness. What, what sort of layers do you need to have in your external wall? Yeah, well, that's a great question. So we're actually updating our website at the moment to to be even more so i appreciate your uh, your kind comments on the the information on there but we're going to make it even better with a lot a lot easier flow a lot easier to navigate through that um with a few more documents that we've developed recently so that'll be on there in the next in the next month or so 
Um, but I think that's one of the things to pick up on there that what what is, and you've heard this phrase, the perfect wall. And people seem to be talking about, yes, yeah, this perfect wall. So I would actually go further than that and challenge that and say, surely it's perfect walls with an S because it does actually vary on, on, on site specific information. It varies onto the context of what you're trying to do, the designs, you know, is the roof pitched? Is it flat? You know, do you want steel cladding or timber cladding or is it vertical cladding? Is it horizontal cladding? Is it rendered? There's like a million different variants. So it's really the building physics principles give you a few tools for common sense. So, you know, the questions, like we said before, question everything. Would it be, do you want your building to overheat? Yes or no? Usually the answer is no, I don't. Okay, do you want your building to run as cheaply as possible? Yes or no? Again, it's always yes, I want it to run cheaply. Then it's, do you want moisture and liquid to be trapped inside your building, causing an issue with damp and mould? And the answer is no, I don't. So therefore, straight away, that should, in, that should influence and guide the kind of way that you go about it. So one, one example that's, that seems quite prevalent at the moment is this drainage cavity. So the way that most people would probably understand that is you've got your timber frame. On the inside, you might have your jit rock. Then you've got what people are now saying and introducing as a vapor permeable membrane, then a drainage cavity, and then your external cladding or insulation. So EPS is a good example of that. Um, or Hebel panels that talk about having this, this drainage cavity in between the panel and the wall frame. But let's just go back a moment. So if I, if I was a homeowner and someone said, we're going to do that, I go, but why is the air gap there? And people go, oh, it's a drainage cavity to let moisture out. Yeah, but why is moisture there in the first place? So then suddenly you start to realise that actually the moisture control, it's not just about liquid water getting through the cladding material and essentially getting through to the, the membrane or where your windows might be positioned. That's one aspect. But the other aspect is the reason why they've introduced the drainage cavity there is because through the use of EPS foams, condensation and sorry, the EPS foams and silver foil sarkings, what was happening is the condensation is forming in that part of the wall structure, raising the moisture content in the timber frame above 20% because obviously it's enclosed, it's trapped, can't dry out. And then you're getting into the realms of dry rot when the, when the moisture content's at above 20% in the timber, your insulation's all soggy, black mold forms, all the rest of it. So they go, oh, we've, this is back to the thing we talk about with the air tightness and the English style houses. If, oh, we're too cold, let's insulate. So it's, oh, there's condensation. So now that's a risk, let's introduce a, a drainage cavity so that the condensation can form in that cavity and get out without getting trapped. Okay, well, that's good. Yeah, and it, and it does work perfectly in that regard. But what's the unintended consequence of that? Now, suddenly you've got your insulation on the outside of that air gap and it's doing absolutely nothing for the building. It's a very expensive way to clad your building and not get any benefit from the insulation. Because as you know, air is, is incredibly good at conducting heat or cold. So that's, that's the question. Why is that air gap there? So I would always advocate that the air gap goes on the outside of the wood fibre so yeah, you would have your timber frame structure. On the inside, you'd, you might have your, your plywood bracing or Egypt rock finish. Then you'd have your wood fiber insulation direct to your frame. Then you would have either a rendered finish or a vapor permeable membrane, and then your drainage cavity at that section. So your cladding is on the outside. And that also links into the overheating control where once you've got a ventilated cavity, that's vented at the base of the wall and at the top of the wall, it's like a chimney. So it's going to draw that heat um, through and the cold air from the bottom and suck it through, which circulates the air, which helps to regulate the temperature in that airspace as well. Um, yeah, so it's really, really important. So I hope that kind of explained that to not just, not just go, all right, we just need an air gap for condensation. It's like, why is the air gap there? Why is it in that position? What is it doing? Yeah. No, that's brilliant. And I think the thing to understand about the vapor permeable membranes 
is that they allow the moisture from inside the home out and into that drainage cavity, but Mm. they don't allow any water that's got through the cladding through them back into the house. So Mm. um, they allow the air through both ways, but they Mm. don't allow the moisture to move both ways. And so, and it's a case of remembering too, that as humans in, I mean, I think we produce something like four or five liters of moisture a day just by living and breathing. And Mm. then add to that, of course, the condensation that we create through using showers, our cooking, um, all of that kind of stuff needs to find a way to get to the outside of the house. So you can do that obviously through mechanical ventilation means, but um, having that vapor permeable membrane will deal with any issues and then reducing those thermal bridges. So, and of course, like using... um, uh, standard aluminium frame windows is of course going to be immediate thermal bridge between mm. inside and outside as well. So thermally broken window frames or mm. inert materials and those kinds of things that um, are going to prevent those thermal bridges. So yeah. is, is there, I'm just going to look at my notes. Is there anything else that we need to look at with um, thermal performance? I know that with your wood fiber um, products, you can actually create that continuous membrane, that tea cozy around the house, as you mentioned, um, yeah. How do the fixings of the wood fiber products not create thermal bridging and create problems in that regard? Yeah, so they, they wrapping it with the wood fiber because it's got a tongue and a groove profile. It it literally fully wraps everywhere and seals every. There's no there's no bit where there's a you know a five mil gap between a sheet. It's all it all wraps the building and the fixings, are especially designed, so they're a nylon washer. Uh, and then they've also got a polystyrene bullet. It's about a 20 mil long. And once you screw screw the washer in, you push the bullet in. So it seals the screw head and then essentially insulates the screw as well. Um, and the technical side for anyone who's a geek on this level is the thermal conductivity of that screw is a 0.002 watts per meter Kelvin, which is super low. <laughs> it's um, virtually non, non-existent, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, <laughs> almost, yeah. So... So yeah, so that's the way that that it would generally work. Um, and, Fantastic. And can, yeah, go on, you go. No, no, I was just going to ask you how thick are those um, those wood fiber panels that you're adding to the outside like that? Yeah, good question. Sixty mil. We do that as a standard. Uh, you can get any thickness essentially in Europe, uh, but just for the economy of freight and volumes that we can fit in a container and that economy there, we and the efficiency of that, we just bring in the sixty mil. Um, and also, if you drop down any thinner than that, you start to it starts to affect what stru- substructure you need behind. So the sixty mil works brilliantly for the existing housing market in Australia and the way that buildings are currently designed. And that's what I really liked about the wood fiber that it's you're not necessarily going too far away for homeowners and and even builders and carpenters on site. You're not introducing a completely revolutionary new method. Um, you're kind of working within the parameters and retrofit is is a great thing as well with the wood fiber that you can retrofit it internally or externally as well uh, on the roofs and the walls and the floors so pretty much for any application that homeowner is thinking of there'd be a solution for wood fiber insulation that's awesome I'm looking forward to talking in more detail about how the product's made and the different products that you stock um, so that people can understand that in more detail. Um, But I want to go on to moisture control in terms of the second thing. So we've got thermal performance. So looking at low thermal bridging um, and thinking about that insulation as a continuous wrap around the building. And then we've got air tightness. So reducing air leakage, aiding thermal performance by limiting limiting the fluctuations between hot and cold and managing how air moves in and out of the home. Moisture controls the next thing. So that's got three areas. We're looking at uh, moisture control. So we've got direct, indirect, or atmospheric. And so just understanding how moisture behaves. Uh, then we've got breathability and the four-lane highway effect. And I know that I'm going to stretch all of your skills to explain this in an audio sense and not have visual tools to talk to when this comes yeah. to this. So, um, But we will put resources into the podcast um, show notes as well so that people can find your website and the incredible educational stuff that you have on there. So, And then the third one is relative humidity. And so that's looking at balanced and optimum internal relative humidity so that you've got um, good, comfortable thermal uh, indoor environment and looking mm. at the ventilation as well. So can we 
we look at these areas of moisture control, and can you explain a little bit more about direct, indirect, and atmospheric, and sort of what people need to understand about that? So, because yes. that's obviously it might be a bit new to people in thinking about their building fabric and their building envelope. Yeah. So, I mean, it's the obvious opening statement is that moisture, when it's trapped in anything, causes untold problems. And obviously, with the floods recently, people are really aware of mold. And that's something that people have talked about a lot, isn't it? And the building biology space has raised a lot of awareness around that. So yeah, moisture traps anywhere is bad. So direct moisture is would be rain um, on the outside or a hose, you know, to clean your house or a jet wash. Direct moisture internally would be a leak um, in your plumbing uh, or, you know, you leave a window open and rain gets in. That would be direct uh, moisture. Indirect moisture would be from your kettle, your shower, like you said, you're even breathing out. And people always say, particularly builders always say that, oh, yeah, well, we just need to keep moisture out. So we'll just use the silver foil. And then when you say, well, do you actually breathe when you're inside? Like, what? Well, of course I do. What are you talking about? Um, but yeah, that's, that's it. Have a dinner party and you've got 20 people in your house and suddenly the moisture content just goes through the roof. Uh, so that would be your indirect moisture. So obviously bathrooms, laundry rooms, kitchens are all high moisture areas. Uh, and then atmospheric moisture is just the moisture that's in the atmosphere already, which fluctuates based on the relative humidity. Um, so that, that's important to understand, which is why having vapour permeable materials in your structure and your fabric is super important. And the best way that I always like to demonstrate this is everybody knows about condensation on a glass of water. Um, and usually most people understand why that is because heat energy is like water. It will try and level itself out. So it always moves from the hot uh, environment to the cold environment. So obviously on the glass, you've got cold water in the glass. So the, the warm air on the outside of the glass tries to push through the glass. It can't, so it condensates. So I always show the coffee pot, the front, like a cafetiere. Um, and, you, you know, you, you pour your boiling water into the pot, you, you put your plunger in, let it sit there for five minutes. And then within a second, you've got condensation on the inside. So you, if you wrap a piece of paper around the coffee pot or even touch the coffee pot, it's dry. So it appears like it's all dry. Oh, okay, great. So imagine if that was your wall. You can't see inside the wall because it's finished. But that's what's happening. Condensation is forming when you use silver foil sarkings, you know, materials that hold on to moisture, like some of the synthetic insulations do. Um, and, and you never see it until it's too late and it pushes the moisture content up. So really important to understand that. Um, so that ties nicely into the, the four-lane highway because people often have concerns around jit rock or plywoods and things like that, that oh, should I be using that internally and particularly from a health point of view I feel like people are questioning that side of the materials as well like what's the toxicity in the materials um, and so as a general rule there's a great thing on our website which always makes me laugh because it basically says uh, you want you the so it's to do with the SD value and an MU value which is basically how airtight uh, a product would be and it says something along the lines of a higher number is better or worse, depending on where it is. So it's a little bit ambiguous, but it's basically <laughs> not trying to confuse to... anyone. Yeah. I know. Yeah. It's already confusing enough. But essentially, what it's saying is that there's a methodology and a science uh, that helps understand where a particular material will perform best in a wall structure. So, as a general rule, it's safe to, to say that a material like jit rock goes towards the inside of the house. And if you imagined four lanes of highway traffic flowing through your wall for the set for the 10 millimeters of where the jit rock is, uh, you know, the highway patrol would be out and shut off two lanes. So there's only two lanes of vapor moving through your wall. The minute it gets through the jit rock and into the wood fiber bulk infill, say, and the wood fiber rigid panel and the, the proclimber membranes, the vapor permeable membranes, it's back to four lanes of traffic movement. Um, so it's okay to use jit rock in that, in that context. Um, and that really hopefully encourages people to know that 
okay, well, we can still use products like Jitrock. It's not, it's not all doom and gloom and that there's no, there's no choices. We can still do that because people really like that simple finish of Jitrock. Whereas some people really like the look of OSB, for example. So we've done a few projects with the timber OSB sheets, which is the huge strands of timber that are just yeah, kind of oriented strand board. Yeah. yeah orientated strand. That's right. Um, and some people really like that and then paint that with a lime wash, whether it's a yellow or a gray or whatever. Um, yeah. So, so it's not, um, it's not just a, there's only one option and you have to do it. There's, there's a few options you can go with, but understanding that basic principle of moisture behavior is a good, a good way to start. Uh, the relative humidity is a little bit more complex. And in the document you mentioned that's on our website, there's a little chart which shows uh, basically a healthy optimum zone. So it's been proven that from 0% relative humidity to 100% relative humidity is where bacterias, molds, fungis, even certain types of um, like lice and things like that, uh, they thrive but as that gets towards 50 percent and either side of that 40 and 60 they actually die out so they're not able to to survive and thrive and that's not by chance but you could say by chance where humans are most comfortable so somewhere and that also fits in with the internal temperature of around 20 to 25 degrees centigrade so when you kind of hit that sweet spot and it's and again it's not an exact uh, thing because actually me personally I like it a little bit hotter so 26 27 is for me where I feel okay great whereas other people might be more like 21 22 uh, sorry uh, 19, 18 19 20 so there is a bit of play within that but again as long as you understand the basic principles and apply vapor permeable materials you're not trapping moisture there is a bit of play with that um, and and a good way to balance the relative humidity is with the ventilation that can be both natural ventilation, opening windows, opening doors through ventilation from one room on the northern side to a bedroom on the southern side or, or vice versa. And then also with things like heat recovery ventilation systems. Um, so, again, not necessarily a black and white. Um, I think it could easily, it can easily be made into black and white. And particularly if you just take the information of passive house at face value, it can appear as very black and white. It's very detailed, as you know, and there's a lot of skilled people in the industry who do the PHPP software in the full analysis. And it's great to do that. Um, and it's great to connect with other things like the Woofy analysis. So I really like the Woofy tool because back to what I said at the beginning, common sense so there's some common sense things you can do that analyze the exact structure that you propose for a house. So let's say, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a homeowner on, on the East Coast and they say, I want to build this particular type of house. You get somebody like me would get given the plans, say, we want to build it like this. And then you could assess that based on 25 years of data of moisture content in that area the relative humidity in that area and the temperatures over over 25 years to then suddenly say, okay, if you build that exact building, you're going to have problems with mold and condensation and extreme humidity, you know, in June, July, and August. So actually, if you change the insulation that you've chosen to say a wood fiber insulation, suddenly you reduce that relative humidity risk and you reduce that overheating risk and then you could say you could build that and there's you've removed the risk of condensation and mold within that structure all oh, right that sounds pretty good and so it's really helpful information so it's just common sense i mean it, it all sounds very technical and complicated but again it's common sense do you want moisture trapped in your building no we don't so there's some very basic principles to allow moisture to get out quickly where it won't cause unintended consequences um and the relative humidity one's very tricky to get right and balance because essentially I'll just read this point off the document here because it kind of explains it a little bit. So the example is if the temperature is 20 degrees centigrade and the relative humidity is at 50%, but then the temperature drops to nine degrees, the relative humidity can increase to a hundred percent. And obviously at that point it turns into liquid. So that's when you get 
like rain or it actually works well on coastal areas as an example it's a terrible situation but in coastal areas at night time when the temperature drops the cot like you've in that example there as the temperature drops the relative humidity increases so the air gets wetter it can affect computers and people have had um you know rust and salt inside their desktop computers when they live on the coast um, so that's obviously something that you need to take into account you wouldn't necessarily have that same issue um on like in a a, a town that's inland a little bit more so you can't necessarily just go oh well, we're building this house on the east coast so let's just build that in alice springs for example so that's why the the passive house thing and, and the woofy analysis and then the understanding of vapor permeable materials really helps to apply it to different situations so homeowners can be confident that well i don't want to go full passive house i don't want a cheap crap you know silver foil building what options have I got? And the answer is lots of options. <laughs> so people like yourself and, and other skilled people in industry can help advise on that. So that's the good thing about it. And that's it for part one of my conversation with James. I hope you found that helpful. We really just scratched the surface. We've got more coming. So in the next episode, we're going to be talking about condensation, about avoiding mould growth in your home's walls. We're going to be learning more about relative humidity. James has got some great ways of understanding that, as well as also overheating control, thermal mass information like that so and James is going to share some information about steel framed homes in particular and how all of this information factors into the construction of steel framed homes to prevent issues with them long term as well so remember you can access a free downloadable pdf transcript of this episode you can grab that by heading to www.undercoverarchitect.com forward slash 234 that's the numbers 234 you've got links there as well when you go to that uh, link to learn more about James and about life panels plus also there's a huge range of digital downloads and product videos super helpful helpful information educational stuff that James has on his website both about the wood fiber products and about building science generally that's super applicable to anyone who's building and renovating as always thank you for tuning in and for letting me be your secret ally Until next time, bye.